me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, and we'll read a few verses, please. Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Itura, and the region of Traconius, and Lysidonus, tetrarch of Abilene, while Ananias and Caphias were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region round about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, Every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, the rough way is smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal straps I am not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And we know the Lord will bless to us the reading of his precious word. Luke, in presenting to us the verses that we have shared, has introduced us to the voice crying in the wilderness. Not only the voice but the man behind the voice and the message that the voice was crying. In today's society and in the world in which we find ourselves, there are many voices crying out. They're crying out various messages. They're endeavoring to get our attention that we not only will hear those voices, we not only will hear the message, but that we will respond to their message. There's those who are crying out, Feed me, I'm hungry. Clothe me, I'm naked. 
Give me to drink, I'm thirsty. Heal me, I'm sick. Give me a shelter, accommodation. I have nowhere to lay my head. There are those who are spewing out messages of hatred, resentment. And then there are those of authority crying out, presenting to us, reminding us of the laws of the land, of the laws of society. There is those who are crying out within the workplace, the school, the college, the university, of the rules and regulations that they have to be observed. And then there are those who are crying out, and they come under the banner of the Christianity. And yet many of what they're presenting is contrary to the teachings of Scripture. And so the voices are crying out, the messages are being presented to us, and we are left with the dilemma, what do we do with what we hear? Some may tug at our heartstrings, we may put our hand in our pockets and give a donation to some charity, to some needy person. Others, their message, we may listen to it, we may agree that it doesn't affect us, it has no bearing on our situation, we just drop it, we ignore it, we put it to one side. And yet there are those messages that to adopt such the attitude, there are repercussions. If we neglect the law of the land, the law of society, the law and rules within the workplace, school, college, or university, there are consequences. But the consequences for those situations are only temporal. But the message of the gospel, if we ignore it, there are consequences that are not just temporal, but are eternal. I want us this evening to spend some time just considering what Luke has presented to us this evening. And firstly, I want to look at the man behind the voice. John said of himself, I am a voice crying in the wilderness. John the Baptist, parents were Zachariah and Elizabeth. They were old when John was born. His mother was a relative of Mary, Jesus' mother, making John a cousin of Jesus. To say he was somewhat eccentric in his lifestyle would not be to overemphasize the situation. For Matthew tells us in chapter 3, he was clothed in camel hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. His dwelling place was the desert. And as I tried to picture John the Baptist in his dress, as he would have appeared to the people of his day, the picture I got was one gentleman long-haired, a beard, and the coat of a camel lapped around him, not cut, not tailored to a coat or a garment, but just lapped around him, and the leather belt tied in a knot round the waist to keep it in place. An unusual character, unusual lifestyle, and many may say he was an eccentric, but yet... 
on the outward appearance. He may indeed have seemed eccentric, but on the inside, he was right with God. Well, does the words of the God to Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16 apply to John, in which God said to Samuel, For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. John's heart was right. His attitude was right. His relationship with God was right. Well, can we take on board what is said quite commonly among us, that we should not judge a book by its cover? Jesus, in speaking of John the Baptist, as recorded in Matthew chapter 11, says these words, Assuredly, <coughs> excuse me, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of woman, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. What an accolade for Jesus to say about any individual. And when we consider the scriptures, we think of the great stalwarts of the Christian faith. We think of the great prophets and all that's contained within scripture. Yet Jesus could say, None of them was greater than John the Baptist. The Apostle John writing in John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 6 says, and he makes this statement, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. One has said, a life is poorly lived indeed that is not missed when gone. Those most anxious to lift up themselves before their fellows seem to leave a gap behind them when they die. But John the Baptist sought no place for himself. But God lifted him up. He lifted him up as a trumpet, putting him as it were to his mouth and filling him with his own divine breath, making him the voice of God. Luke, as a historian, is very precise in giving us here in the opening verse that we read, in a few words, the outward historical setting of John's life. But we tarry not to look at the history, but we look at the life and the message that was brought. For his life was a special life, a chosen life. He was chosen in Christ Jesus before the world was even in existence. Can we grasp the reality of that this evening? When the call came, we are told he was in the wilderness. It has been suggested that his mother and father had passed away, John being free from his responsibilities to his parents has time for himself and he makes his way out into the wilderness cutting himself off into a desert place part of the valley of Jordan John had gone to be alone to get to know God in a greater degree to get to understand what God's plan and purpose was for his life what God required of him what God was going to ask him to do for him. The Apostle Paul did likewise 
After his conversion on the road to Damascus, he spent some three and a half years in the deserts of Arabia, getting to know God, getting to know God's plan and purpose. Surely, for those who are desirous to know the will of God, it may be required that we take time out, time from work, time from our plans, our purposes, our ideas, and we get alone with God. And as we are alone with God, we understand God's divine purposes and concerns for us. Well, are we called to take time to be holy, to wait on the Lord? What does the scripture say? Enter thy closet and shut the door. But how did the call come? We're not told. Verse 2 says, The word of God came to John. Did it come as an audible voice as it did to Samuel in the temple? Did it come as an audible voice to Paul as he was found on the road to Damascus? I don't know. But sufficient to say the call came. How it came, we do not know. We can suppose. We can make suggestions. But I know it says, He, John, being filled with the Holy Ghost from birth, was in touch with God. We are reminded in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, of the angel Gabriel as he came to Zechariah, John's father, and he made this prophecy concerning him, speaking of John, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Being filled with the Spirit, the revelation was made to him that, he was, that this was God's work within him and God's word to be uttered through him. How often has the word of God come to us in this way? When old familiar truths have suddenly flashed up with a new revelation, a new urgency, bringing a fresh message from the Lord. But what of the effect produced? For verse 3 tells us, and he came preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. He was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. For when the word of God burns within us, surely the most unpopular methods may be used, but with positive results. His mission was not to save, but to preach baptism as the outward sign of a repentant heart. And having done so, he pointed then the candidates to Jesus. For as the Apostle John records for us, in chapter 1 and verse 29, he pointed them to the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. But what of John's testimony? For John, he acknowledged it was a fulfillment of prophecy. He acknowledged, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, for John, it was quite clear that he recognized and confessed that this scripture was fulfilled in him before their eyes. Jesus also, in similar manner, 
acknowledge that fact with regards to Isaiah 61 and then again in Luke chapter 4 and verse 21. Surely this evening every truly consecrated life is a fulfillment or filling full of the word of God. But also, not only was, did he acknowledge that the calling was a fulfillment of prophecy, but it was, required an abandonment of self. His plans, his ideas, his thinking had no place in this situation. It was all for Jesus. His plans were put to one side, as Jesus says, and he indicated that his purpose was to do the will of God his Father. So John, in like manner, adopted that same repose. And he says, my plan, my purposes don't count. What matters is God and his will and his outworking of his plan in us. John identified himself, as verse 4 tells us, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. John was the word made voice. Christ was the word made flesh. The message that came through Isaiah the prophet some 700 years earlier were now voiced through John by the power of the Holy Ghost. Surely he who would be a herald of Christ must be content, be content to be a voice and that voice not his own. Self-assertiveness must not be in it if its tones are to be pure. For John could say, not I, but Christ in me. John was not a voice singing, but a voice crying in the wilderness as one in agony for the will of God. Those who sigh and cry shall have divine, the divine mark set upon him. As we are told of in Ezekiel chapter 9, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the prophet, and the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. John had God's mark upon him. Man may not see it, but God had put his mark upon him. But also, we are made aware that John glorified Christ. For he said in verse 4, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. It wasn't prepare the way of John the Baptist. It was prepare ye the way of the Lord. John is not concerned about his own way but is intensely interested in the way of the Lord. And John honors Christ as the preeminent one. Surely the glory of Christ fills his vision and occupies his soul, his way, and his path. Well, could he cry, all for Jesus. That was his cry. All, everything, 24-7, all, all for Jesus. He also acknowledged him as the filling one. For in verse 5 we read, Every valley shall be filled. He fills up the valleys by exalting them. As Isaiah 40, 
and 4 tells us. He feeds the hungry by lifting them up into his own fullness. No matter how deep and wide the chasm of our need may be, he can fill it up. But also, John, we see him as the humbling one. For in verse 5, he says, Every mountain and hill shall be brought low. The lofty pride of Saul of Tarsus was suddenly brought low on the road to Damascus. He had an air. He had an attitude. He had uh, awe about him. He was a great chap. What he was going to do and what he was involved in, he believed was the will of God. But God put that all to one side and brought him low on the road to Damascus. He brought him down that he may raise him up. Also, John acknowledges that Jesus, as the upright one, the crooked shall be made straight. Surely every son of God was once part of a crooked nation. It takes, does it not, an upright one to straighten out the crooks in others and to the crooked. This may be and often is a painful process. But you know, Peter, speaking in First Peter chapter 3, he suffered the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. John acknowledges Jesus as the comforting one. The rough ways shall be made smooth. Rough ways have caused many to faint and become discouraged. Rough ways, are they not very common within the Christian's experiences? And even God's people go through sad and weary times. Yet we can know Christ as the smoother of our ways. The psalmist takes the theme up in Psalm 34, saying they looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. Jesus does make a difference. He acknowledged, John also acknowledged Jesus as the universal one. For he said in verse 6, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The good tidings of the gospel was for all people. God is not a man, as the writer in Numbers chapter 14 tells us, that he shall, should lie. And he shall say, as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. The man behind the voice the stance he took, the position he held, the attitude he had towards his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But what about the preaching of John? What about the message that he hurled it, that he cried, that he proclaimed in his day? There is nothing like the light of the gospel to open blinded eyes to the deceitful things of the earth. John's eyes were on the son of righteousness and his tongue was a flame of fire. For John, his message, it had a burning question. As verse 7 presents to us, he said, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He was speaking to the religious leaders. He was speaking to those who would claim to know all things regarding spiritual matters, the law, the scriptures. 
but he challenges them. There is wrath to come, but who hath warned you that ye have not fled from it through though ye have not fled from it through repentance? What was he saying? They had an air of religion. They had a form of religion, but their form of religion was no way forward for salvation. It didn't warrant them eternal life and heaven and home. We can go through all the rituals of church attendance, being involved in church activities, but you know, if we have not come to Jesus, if we have not repented of our sins, then we are indeed on the broad road that leads to destruction. How can we flee from the wrath to come if we, have not, if we are not fleeing from our sin? For the way of salvation is the way of repentance. And John says, from whom has your warning come? Who warned you? Who stirred you? And then also, not a bur also a burning question, but an urging, urgent demand. Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance and begin not to say within yourselves, Abraham is our father. The lineage in which you are born has nothing to do with salvation. You can be related to the most high-profile individuals in the world, but it doesn't get you salvation. Salvation is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, an acknowledgement that you're a sinner in need of salvation, acknowledging that Jesus dying on the cross paid the price for your salvation, and asking him for forgiveness, and asking him to save you. John hits the nail on the head. He says, if God wanted, he could raise sons to Abraham from the very stones that were lying around on the ground. This pressing claim of John needs to be emphasized surely today. Faith, humility, brotherly love, and zeal for the kingdom of God are fruits worthy of repentance. I can just visualize John having given them a good talking to and he's there, they're arguing back, but we are saved. We are saved. And John's saying, well, if you're saved, let me see the fruits. How many? And you know, we've got caught in this situation and I find myself when I'm asking somebody anything, I don't ask them, are they a Christian? Because they naturally say yes. I ask them, are they saved? There's a difference. And I feel this was what John was doing. He was challenging them. Yes, they had come to him to be baptized. They maybe looked at it as one other religious observance. But John was challenging them. Challenging them. Well, if you're genuinely saved, let me see the fruits. For the scripture says, by their fruits ye shall know them. But also John's message brought before a testing crisis. For in verse 9, we're made aware, and now also the axe is laid at the root of the tree. The message of John was as an axe laid at the root of each tree, and by which each fruitless tree 
in due time would be cut down. The words of John would judge them on judgment day. Surely every time we hear the gospel of Christ preached in the power of, this, of God, it is, as it were, an axe laid at the root of our lives that will be used by the hand of God, the judge, in cutting down the fruitless unrepentant. Jesus himself declares, as John's gospel, chapter 12, records for us, the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him on the last day. And again, Luke in his gospel records for us the words of Jesus when he said, Take heed, therefore, how you hear. John's ministry was a spiritual ministry, but it had a practical doctrine. For the people, the publicans, and the soldiers asked him, What shall we do? Here within the crowd, there were three different types of individuals. And John answers them all. To the people, he says, preach brotherly love. To the publicans, he says, be honest in business. To the soldiers, he says, be forbearance. Be content with your wages. Don't be bearing false accusation about anyone. John's preaching of righteousness led to repentance and pointing to the Lamb of God, which surely taketh away the sins of the world. The repentant that does, repentance that does not lead to the cross surely is a repentance that needs to be repented of. But John's message also contained a self-humbling confession. For in verse 16, John says, One mightier than I cometh, the latches of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. John was mighty in righteousness, but Jesus was mightier in grace. The might of a servant of Christ lies in the mightiness of the Master. And John acknowledged that Jesus was one mightier than him, and he cometh. The knowledge of the nearness of that fact filled John's heart with courage and comfort. The great spirit and fire baptizer was at hand. Surely, present-day preachers, crying like a voice in the wilderness of the Christ to the... Of, I'll read that again. Present-day preachers crying like a voice in the wilderness of this Christ-rejecting world have much need, like John, to know the sustaining power of God. But also his message contained a soul-inspiring proclamation. Again, verse 16, He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. John baptized with water, as an outward evidence of repentance. But Jesus baptized with the Holy Ghost as an inward assurance of forgiveness and acceptance, as the writer in Romans 8 reminds us. To be baptized in the Holy Ghost means the entering of the soul into a new experience in Christ. It is a passing from timidness to boldness. We are reminded in Acts chapter 1, of the instruction given by Jesus to his disciples. He had given them out the commission, go ye into all the world and teach all men. But in Acts he says, Tare, 
till you be endued with power from on high. The task I have set you is a great one. It is a demanding one. It is a difficult one. But hey, wait. I want to give you the power to perform and fulfill my commandment. As I think of the 120 in the upper room, that time in Jerusalem, the door was closed, falsely bolted. They were fearful of men. They were fearful of the Jews. And as I thought of the fire that once burned within them, for some it may have been almost out. What does the scripture say? A smoking flax he will not quench. And to those who were found in that upper room on that occasion, the picture I have is God by the Holy Spirit and his fan, fanning those smoldering embers, causing it to burst into flame. And by the time that it was ready for them to come out, having experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there was a fire burning within them. A fire, an unquenchable fire, a fire that could not be put out, a fire that even beatings, stonings, imprisonment, and even death itself could not quench, could not cause the flame to dim. The day of Pentecost, when the disciples came out onto the streets of Jerusalem, they had had an experience and they could say, we'll never be the same again. What had changed? What had transformed men who had run, hid, fleed from the people, fleed from the Garden of Gethsemane when they rescued Jesus? One actually uh, said uh, he didn't know Jesus. He actually used swear words to try and add some uh, beef to the, his denial. And yet, what do we see with them on the day of Pentecost? Standing in the streets with boldness. They weren't afraid of the Jews any longer. They weren't afraid of what man would say. They weren't afraid of what man would do. They stood with boldness and they preached the gospel. To live in the Spirit is to live in the glowing fire of the divine presence of God. Here spiritual things become more real than the things of earth. The baptism cannot come through the works of the flesh. It is the gift of God. John the Baptist said of Jesus, He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. As I thought of that scene, as I thought of that situation, I thought of those disciples and believers and the fire that was burning within them some may almost have been out. For others, they were burning, as it came to me, sticks and logs. They were burning reasonable. But you know, after the baptism of the Holy Spirit came, they were burning wonder coal. And for those of you who know what I'm talking about, wonder coal burns with an intensity that far surpasses any other fuel. And when it gets hold, it is very difficult to extinguish. There was a fire lit within them that the world and all that it would throw at them could not put out. Well, could we use the words of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 19 and verse 2 when he says, 
Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? But his message also contained a timely warning. For it says in verse 17, Whose fan is in his hand, he will gather the wheat, he will burn the chaff. John's message hits on the head the lie that Satan has sown in the hearts and lives of not only the world, but even many within the Christian community in which they believe that Jesus is a God of love and he will not send anyone to a lost eternity. That's not what God's word says. For he who baptizes with the Holy Ghost and fire carries the fan in his hand. He who unites and enriches with spiritual blessing also separates and judges. He carries it in his hand and the time will come when he will judge the world. His floor in which he has in grace been operating by the Holy Spirit and where the lifeless chaff and the precious wheat lie in a heap. The fan is in his hand so that he himself must come before the final sifting can take place. Jesus, as recorded in Matthew chapter 13, makes the comment, the wheat and the tares are allowed to grow together until the harvest. His wheat is gathered into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The voice, if ever, the world needs to hear the voice, not the voice of man, but the voice and the message of the gospel. It is in this day and age in which we find ourselves. And God has called us to be that voice, to present that message in this world in which we find ourselves. As John was called, each and every one of us are called also the area of our ministry, the area of our witness may differ, may vary, but the calling of John was no more important than the calling of you and I. For Scripture tells us before we were, God knew us. Before we arrived on the scene, He not only knew us, but He had planned for our salvation. He not only planned for our salvation, He had planned for our life. And included in that plan for our life was our service for him. Our calling may not be to the pulpit. But our calling can be to the school, the college, the university, the workplace, the street where we live. Jesus said to his disciples, go ye out into all the world. He hasn't withdrawn that command. He hasn't retracted that command. It still applies today to each and every one of us. But not only has he given us the commission, but also he has provided the power to proclaim the gospel, the Holy Ghost and fire. He said to the disciples, I've given you the commission, but now wait until you be endued with power from on high. The hymnist, Challenges, does she not, when she wrote, Are you looking for the fullness of the blessing of the Lord in your heart and life today? That's the challenge. It's great to be saved. It's tremendous to be baptized in water. But you know there's more. There's more. 
and Jesus wants to give it. He wants to give it, give it freely to the whosoever will, will come and desire it. Are you looking? Have you got to that position in life where you're looking more of God? Not just looking to know more about him, but wanting more of him, more of his power. Do you want to be turned from timidness into boldness as the disciples were on that day of Pentecost? No, when boldness took over and they stood, revival came. Some 3,000 were added to the church on that one day. But it wasn't a one-day wonder, for it says that daily they were added to the church such as should be saved. And you know, as I thought of that first day, and they said of 3,000, it's just a personal thought. I think there was more than 3,000, because when they got to 3,000, they got tired counting, and God was still saving. I have no confirmation for that thought. But he wants to give you the power to proclaim the gospel. The hymnist goes on to say, he will fill your heart today to overflowing with the Holy Ghost and power. The question has been asked. You and you alone are the only one who can respond and answer to that question. And so once again, I use the words of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 19 and verse 2. Have you received the Holy Spirit ghost since you believed? Thank you.